Giving contracts without a GM, that's out. Safety glasses and mustaches, that's in. We'll talk about it next on episode 23 of Stone Cold Strohs, and it starts right now. Welcome to Stone Cold Strohs. I'm Brandon Strange, and I'm joined by senior content contributor Charlie Polillo. If you enjoy him here, you should be reading his column on sportsmap.com. That's weekly. Follow him on Twitter at Polillo. Josh Jordan sitting next to him edits that column as he does all of our columns on sportsmap.com. Follow Josh at uh, Josh Jordan 975. Gents, welcome in. Episode 23. 23. Isn't that the number Michael Brantley wore when he was a major leaguer? I don't remember. I thought that was uh, LeBron James. Let's let's talk about it. We'll get to Michael Brantley in a second here. Let's get to some positive news, namely pitching. We've seen some really good performances out of some of the Astros' young pitching this season so far. Uh, Hunter Brown carrying a three four three ERA, forty seven Ks over forty four and two thirds inning. JP France, the new guy up. 0.77 ERA, eight strikeouts over 11 and two-thirds innings. And Brandon Belak, a familiar face, he's up 3.29 ERA, 10 strikeouts over 13 and two-thirds innings. Guys, do the performances of Hunter Brown, J.P. France, and Brandon Belak make you feel more confident about the Astros' ability to maintain that strength of starting pitching in the absence of Jose Arquiti and Luis Garcia? Well, Hunter Brown, to me, quite clearly is the most meaningful one by a long, long, long stretch. Because coming into the season, he was the stud prospect off the 20 innings he flashed last year. And just his his overall background, the way he rose through the system, and he's essentially lived up to it. His stuff is plus. When his command is good, he's going to be at least a middle-of-the-rotation starter. Of course, he'll have to prove major league durability in terms of being an innings eater. But all in all, so far, so very good with Hunter Brown. Uh, J.P. France has been a breath of fresh air. The whole stash thing is, is cool. Uh, cooler for the Astros. Two solid outings. His sustainability is much more dubious. Right, His minor league background control problems throughout. He's 28 years of age. Now, maybe he's just going to be a late bloomer and, and give them 100 good innings in the back of the rotation. Uh, Bielak, the ERA, what it is through two starts. He danced through the raindrops in the dro- uh, start in Seattle, giving up 10 hits in four and two-thirds or whatever. There's nothing in Brandon Bielak's pedigree that says competent number five starting pitcher. Silver lining to that, how many teams have five starting pitchers that you're thinking, well, they're all money. So the Astros, by the standards of last year or 2019, of course they're a shell of what we've seen with two Cy Young candidates at the top of the rotation and then a 3-4-5 that for probably half the teams could be a one, two, three. Right, those days are in the rearview mirror. But look, they're third in the American League in earned run average. Only the Rays and the Twins are better. Yes, there are individual pitchers leaking, or in the case of Montero, hemorrhaging. But all in all, the pitching staff remains very good. Yeah, they've been really good when they needed those wins. Last week, Fromber stepped up. Christian Javier stepped up. They did what you needed them to do to be stoppers. And J.P. France has impressed me. I I agree with everything Charlie said about Hunter Brown. I just want to give J.P. France a little little love here. It's hard to come up and and make that first start and and perform well and then build on that success and then have another good performance. I I was really impressed how he handled the big moment. I like his stuff. It's a little better than I anticipated getting to see it in you know real big league games. So. I mean, I think they'll, knock on wood, I think they'll be okay until Urquidy and hopefully McCullers return somewhere around the All-Star break. It's the offense that's got me concerned. I mean, that's really where I'm at. I think the pitching is its better than I expected considering the circumstances. Where they are being thinned out, and Forrest Whitley made a return start at AAA if you want to you know, grasp to hope that he gets a shot. Uh, on merits, as opposed to necessity, as the mother of invention, at some point, maybe the second half of the season, uh, they are down in terms of numbers to razor-thin margin of error. Uh, in the case of France, more than four walks per nine innings throughout his minor league career. Well, each of his first two starts with the Astros walked only one guy. So if he has a newfound command level. Hey, that gives him an opportunity to maybe be a five and a third innings, two runs type guy, keep you in games, a uh, starting pitcher back end of the rotation. But across your fingers, because, you know, they're one breakdown of a uh, Framber Valdez or Christian Javier from being in a, in a code red situation in the rotation. 
Uh, it's funny. Well, not so much, I guess, to Fromber or those who said, yeah, take the over 14 and a half wins for Fromber this season. But he has the best ERA in their rotation, exempting France, who's made just two starts. And Fromber's the one guy with a losing record. That's baseball sometimes. That is baseball. And it's definitely been baseball this year. Uh, you know, as far as France goes, um, the Astros do have a pitcher, have, have a history, excuse me, of turning around pitchers who's who haven't been able to figure it out to this point. I mean, right off the top of my head, I think, you know, Garrett Cole is going to make a whole lot of money in his career uh, thanks to uh, the Astros and their ability to help guys figure it out and kind of accentuates their strengths, hide their weaknesses. So maybe it's not out of the realm of possibilities that JP France is figuring it out later in life. Also could be a level of competition. Uh, the, you know, the Astros haven't had yet at murderer's row of, of uh, uh, you know, opponents like they did a little earlier on uh, where it would really test your grit. Uh, I think Charlie, that's, you know, all of all of what you said is exactly how I feel, which is there's so much more emphasis and focus on the pitching right now because the offense has been so stagnant and because of the you know you're missing Altuve, you're missing Brantley, and Abreu hasn't has been ineffective. So everything is hyper focused on the start. A lot of credit to them, though. A lot's on their back. A lot's expected out of them. A lot was expected out of uh, the starting uh, rotation last year as well. We don't really talk about that because it's, it's last season, but the reason why they were able to get so much productivity out of their bullpen was because they were used uh, so, um, I think, reasonably. They, they weren't over-reliant upon the bullpen last season because their starters went deep. And right now, they have the luxury of – uh, losing Luis Garcia, losing Jose, Jose Arquiti in back-to-back starts, and then bringing up these guys from AAA who've been able to be stopgaps for you. You haven't started, you know, bleeding in the way that you know you might expect to. Josh, you brought up Lance McCullers, and obviously we saw what happened with Michael Brantley. We'll talk about it later. Um, but do we trust? I mean, we've seen these updates from Lance McCullers. He's gradually, gradually getting there. Um, do we trust that Lance McCullers comes back and is effective this year? And and if he's not guys, uh, are you okay with going to battle for, with, with this pitching staff? Because, you know, you assume b goes back, uh, you know, he, he gets sent back to Sugarland whenever, you know, or gets back, uh, from his, uh, stint on the IL. Is this, is this a pitching staff that you feel comfortable going to bat with in the playoffs? Yeah, I mean it is. It, when you go to the, you saw last year, Luis Garcia, he, he had to come in an eighteen inning game to even you know get some run in that postseason. You know it, they get it down to three or four guys in the rotation that typically go. So I think they'll be all right. And if McCullers can do what he did last year, I, I certainly hope he returns sooner than he did last year. But if he can be healthy for the playoff run, that's what this team is all about: is winning the big games in the playoffs, making some moves in the postseason, and. You know, Urquidy, I expect him. Hopefully he'll be back. It didn't sound super serious. And he's a guy that's he's so handy to have over the course of a regular season because he keeps you in the ball game. He gives you some innings. He gives you a chance to win. So, yeah, I, I think they'll be OK with McCullers, though. It's just when's he going to get hurt again? You know, unfortunately, we're just how can we not see it that way? That That's just the way it's been dictated with history with his injuries. Fromber's been excellent so far, but he's not what Verlander was last year. He's not what Verlander and Cole were in 2019. Javier's been very good, but hasn't been the, oh my God, untouchable Javier he was down the stretch last year and in the postseason. Well, is Christian Javier going to hit his stride and that elevates the top of your rotation? The Astros no longer rate the clear advantage when you go one through four. You're going to start four different pitchers in a, in a postseason series. And of course, we're getting well ahead of the game here. But you look one healthy the Rays line up their pitching just fine against the Astros. The Yankees ever get healthy, right? Cole being a beast so far this year. They're starting pitching. Frankie Montas ever gets healthy. Well, that's not going to happen. But Cortez and Severino, and who knows about Radon. Uh, but they have horses. The Cleveland Guardians went healthy, right? They've yet to have Tristan McKenzie this season. He's a stud back of Shane Bieber. So the Astros are just another good team now with a good starting rotation, but it's a good starting rotation. It's still a good bullpen. The overriding question is, will this lineup elevate 
from El Stinko to at least good, maybe not great. Right, The one-man cavalry being counted on is Jose Altuve when he returns. But the Astros have been a two-trick pony kind of. I'd almost say one and three quarters. Right, Jordan is Jordan, an offensive superstar. Kyle Tucker's good. But Kyle Tucker's not having a great season. He starts the homestand with an OPS at 800. That's lower than Kyle Tucker's OPS any of his three regular seasons uh, as a major leaguer uh, heretofore. Uh, Bregman's lousy so far this season. Uh, Jose Abreu looks like he doesn't need a B12 shot. He needs formaldehyde injections. And then you have the fringy guys who are good for what the levels of expectation were. But Dubon has not been a good offensive player on balance this season. Ditto Corey Jolks. Uh, Jeremy Pena has been all right, pretty much league average. But if he's the third best guy in your lineup, well, you have issues. Uh, the Astros go into the Cubs series starting the week. Team OPS 672. Josh reference third worst in the American League. 672 OPS is lower than the Astros offense finished with in 2011, 2012, or 2013. The 106, 107, 111 lost teams finished with higher OPSs than what the 2023 Astros have posted through the first quarter of the season. Well, if they're going to maintain this level, they're not going to be any better than a mediocre team, regardless of having a good pitching staff. But you presume Bregman's going to pick it up at least some. Um, I don't know if you start formulating an exit strategy on Jose Abreu with more than two and a half seasons left on his contract, but I don't think he could possibly be worse than he's been so far or call up a random minor leaguer. J.J. Matajevic would absolutely be better than what Abreu has been so far this season. So we'll presume they get at least incrementally better at first base, somewhat better at third base. Um, Myers, McCormick, Godot, Brantley, it's someone to give you three competent outfielders counting Jordan as the, the left fielder. More Yiner Diaz behind the plate would upgrade your lineup at catcher. And of course, Altuve's return should be a significant boost. So 21 and 19 by Astros standards, a disappointing first quarter of the season. Well, tell that to the San Diego Padres. Tell that to the New York Mets. Tell that to the division champion St. Louis Cardinals of last year who are on pace to lose 100 games through the first quarter of the season. So uh, chill pills as necessary. The Texas Rangers should be starting to be taken as legitimate threats over the long haul. But, you know, they've already played the A's seven times. The Astros have played them zero. The schedule's favorable for the Astros over the remainder of this month, including two series with the A's. Uh, the other garbage team in the American League is the Royals. The Rangers have already played them in a series. The Astros haven't played the Royals. Uh, so over 162 games, water finds its level. The Astros level no longer is in the realm of 106 wins of last year, or probably even 100 wins. But that this can be a, a low 90s win team, maybe even a 95 win team, and win this division, clearly still in play. Well, they, one thing that you can always count on uh, – in the postseason has is, is been that the experience matters. And so as much as the Astros may have regressed in some areas, that experience is still there. Sometimes teams catch fire, Boston in 2018, and the Nationals in 2019. Uh, the, the Astros have been there, done that. And so I think they'll now more than ever, they'll probably be leaning into that experience as they uh, head down the stretch. Guys, if you spent any time on Twitter over the weekend, and I suggest that you not be on Twitter if your last name is Bagwell, Abreu, or Montero. But uh, there's a lot of blame being uh, doled around uh, by the fans for the Astros, just kind of underwhelming performance over the first quarter of the season. And fair or unfair, Jeff Bagwell's taken a lot of those bullets because he kind of was the face uh, the mascot, if you will, of the team during a period in which they did not have a general manager and some deals got done. Uh, those deals being most notably Jose Abreu, Rafael Montero, and to, I guess, a lesser extent, maybe Michael Brantley. If, if we're playing the blame game, is it, is it fair to put it on any one person or is this, is this really a culmination of some decisions and really performances? I mean, you got to think that really like click had to go it was that bad <laughs> you know you won a world series with the guy look what he did with the bullpen it makes me look at it a little bit with crane and, and maybe bagwell I, we, we don't know the dynamics of what was going on behind the scenes but we did did hear that crane and click maybe didn't get along great he left 
and they're operating a little differently. You know, I brought up Keith Law in the video I did last week with Granado about just how t- teams like Tampa, they don't spend top-tier free agent money on DHs and first basemen. They have guys that can kind of play those roles, maybe younger guys that, that can fill in in those spots. You know, you want to use the lower tier of free agency uh, to fill first base and DH because, you know, it, it's not hard to find guys that can just swing the bat and the defense isn't as important for those positions. So it's not kind of how the Astros have done things. So you have to wonder why change what's working that, you know, that's, the, that's probably what has Astros fans. So, so curious about that. And, and all the bullets Bagwell's taken, it was cause he was the face of it. You know, he was the one talking about it to the media and what we were doing videos about, are you okay with him being the new GM of the Astros? I mean, that was a real, you know, conversation, him and Brad Osmus, it came down to them and, and Dana Brown and, we were thinking it was going to go with one of these baseball men and, you know, Reggie Jackson's influence with the Astros. So, I mean, Crane, Bagwell, I mean, all these guys have to be accountable for these things. But, you know, with Brantley, was that Bagwell or, is, you know, Jim Crane going to probably bring Brantley back anyway? We know they had a great relationship. So, I mean, I think it's fair to spread the blame around a little bit. Uh, if blame is to be apportioned, there's that expression of fish rots from the head first. Fish actually don't rot from the head first, but it works for the expression. Uh, Jim Crane's a big fish. He's the guy who ostensibly fired the general manager who rounded out a World Series winning roster with some good moves. Crane's prerogative, of course. Uh, He has the most gold, makes the rules. He's the operating owner of the franchise. Uh, But they had a bad offseason. And it's not necessary to take it from me or Josh or Brandon Dusty Baker on the record. Well, we didn't have a general manager, so we couldn't do anything in terms of maybe adding an innings-eating veteran, fortifying some depth for rotation options uh, heading into the season. Um, It's not all 2020 hindsight on Jose Abreu, who's an unmitigated disaster to this point. For the last time, he woke up basically a year ago today batting 197 with an OPS of sub-600, and it turned out just fine, but he really looks cooked. Right, Zero home runs. Has he hit one to the warning track yet, much less the Crawford boxes uh, at Minimade Park? He's laid on pretty much every fastball. But he was coming off a good season, even with the power outage. One home run his last 55 games, zero through the Astros' first 40 games this season. But he wasn't a joke of a player. He's a way better player than Yuli Gurriel last year. Uh, Yuli, by the way, now with a sub-700 OPS in his part-time role with the Marlins. Uh, while I'm meandering, uh, Carlos Correa, sub-700 OPS with the Twins. George Springer, worse OPS than both Gurriel and Correa. So it's not exactly misery loves company, but uh, the halcyon days. Oh, if the Astros only still had Springer and Correa and Yuli. Well, they still have three holes uh, in their lineup. Um, Montero was an overpay. Three years was odd. Off one good season in the major leagues for a guy already in his 30s. But the price of poker, right? The Astros bullpen was awesome. So they wanted to keep the band together. If you overpaid some, wasn't seven years, $180 million. San Diego Padres re-upped the reliever Robert Suarez, also 31 years old last season. Also had his first good season in the major leagues. He'd been in Japan for a few years. Venezuelan pitcher. Padres gave him five years, $46 million. He's a bum elbow. He hasn't pitched yet this season. Five years, $46 million. Three years, 34 and a half. If not two, two peas in a pod, well, two 32-year-old pitchers so far not doing the job this year. But that's not sinking your ship for years. And the price of poker in Major League Baseball, crazy contracts being dealt out all over the place. Every team is going to have one or two that you go, oops, or that's not what we were thinking. But when the Astros had a mediocre first quarter of the season and their biggest acquisition and their biggest re-sign um, have just been down in flames so far, it's glaring. Uh, you know, Bagwell, 36-year-old broken down first baseman that he was, with a goatee, maybe he was seduced by all those characteristics uh, in Jose Abreu. But Crane let the offseason go, the bulk of the offseason go, before he hired uh, Dana Brown. So uh, in that blame game, uh, if there's a percentage to be allotted, uh, Jim Crane to me would get about 75% of it. But, you know, it's not like uh, Rome is burning and, um, you know, they're – they're without an opportunity to turn the season around or make upgrade moves. Uh, it's just been by Astro standards of the last half decade plus, not accustomed to seeing this around here. 
when every season though is judged by world series or bust then it does seem like Rome is burning when things are not going uh, as they have been, because that's the standard at which you hold is you're either, you know, you're, you're the reigning champs. You've been to six straight league championship series. The, the, that is the, that's the goal is, is you win the big chip or, or it doesn't really matter. And that's fair or unfair. I mean, they're, they're the ones who set that completely high, unattainable uh, bar for themselves that they continue to live up to. And uh, Charlie, to your analogy, if you've ever owned a fish, uh, there's a condition called fin rot in which it definitely does not, by definition, it doesn't start at the head. It starts at the fin. Um, At the end of the day, you know, Jim Crane, he's having a tough time dodging those Jerry Jones comparisons right now, because it's, it's all, it's all well and good until you start making yourself the face of the organization and you start making these decisions that are highly, highly critic, you know, criticized under the microscope. Uh, And again, like, are those the decisions, the reasons why the Astros are in these uh, is in the condition they're in? Not necessarily. Uh, I think they're just augmented by the fact that you made those decisions and not other ones. Uh, You made the Montero decision, but you uh, allowed Christian Vasquez to walk. Uh, where you know, so you had opportunities to maybe solidify uh, or maybe retain people, and you haven't. Uh, Charlie, your your Carlos Correa uh, analogy is a great one. You know who else is feeling great about that too? Is the Mets and the Giants who dodged major bullets in giving uh, Carlos Correa a giant contract. How do you think those guys feel knowing that they were on the hit, hook for big money and uh, they? clearly saw something that they didn't like in those ankle x-rays or whatever it was that they saw. Uh, Those guys feel like geniuses right now, dodging that bullet. Um, And, you know, again, like I don't want to make light of it. It sucks for Korea. We like Korea. Um, But that just the point being is sometimes uh, conditions are such into where uh, decisions are highly, highly uh, focused in on under the, the, the microscope and Dusty augments, for the Astros, Dusty Baker kind of augments some of these issues, right? Because uh, he can put a lot of faith into guys or try to instill faith by not moving them or not adjusting to their performances. Montero keeps getting run out in the setup role. Uh, Jose Abreu, uh, until very, very recently, until being brought back from his day off, they would not move him out of the cleanup spot. Now he's been moved down to the five spot. It remains to be seen whether he gets moved any lower. Um, obviously based on his performance, a meritocracy would dictate that he gets moved lower if not being removed, but they're committed to him. And whether it was, uh, it may not be a seven year deal, but a three year deal at this point for, uh, Abreu and to a lesser extent Montero does feel like a 10 year deal. And I, I just want to know from your standpoint, Charlie, uh, Dusty is seen as this old school baseball uh, guy, are you surprised to see Dusty Baker keep running out guys and putting them in those same positions and not adjusting to their performances? Like we'll start with Abreu, but I think to a lesser extent Montero. Uh, are you surprised to not see Dusty make adjustments there? Uh, not wildly surprised because I think it's unfair for those who say the Astros won the World Series in spite of Dusty Baker. Certainly fair (laughs) to say they didn't win it because of Dusty Baker. They won it with Dusty Baker. Over his long and distinguished managerial career, he's never been known as a master tactician. And he's been a handler of people. The the day-to-day is spree de corps and and so forth. Um, He's veteran loyal to a fault. We've seen some of that uh, around here. Um, You know, the, the Maldonado playing time breakdown. Uh, Dubon by Dubonian standards anyway, anyway, uh, elevated his game while David Hensley was just awful. So, you know, Dubon got all that run at second base, um, but still putting him in the, in the leadoff spot when he's drawn four walks and near 150, uh, at bats. Uh, but Dusty's hands are tied right now with, with some of his alternatives, um, there are only so many buttons you could push when a couple of your key guys are not performing well and at least one other substantial player uh, hasn't played at all. Um, I do think fundamentally it was old school to the point of being uh, doofy that, well, I have to split my lefties 
Uh, I don't care that Abreu, if he fell out of a boat, uh, he's not hitting any water whatsoever. But oh, I, I, by all means, I have to go Jordan, Abreu, Tucker over the weekend in Chicago. Whether someone shook him or someone pointed out the OPS column or the home run column or said, I test Dusty. You want old school? Look at Abreu. His OPS is 50 points worse than Maldonado's now. He was still hitting fifth. But you look at the bottom four guys in the lineup, you know, there's no one who cries out, well, that's a guy who should be batting fifth, other than you could say, well, anyone should be batting ahead of Abreu at at this point. Um, So Dusty will always do some things that confound, but I don't think managerial decisions explain why the Astros are are 21 and 19, which is not calamitous. And they start the week four games behind the Rangers. If the Astros... Uh, with a few soft series coming the the rest of May and then back to some division play in June. They go 24 and 16 over the next 40, which doesn't sound like world beating, but that's good. That's 600 baseball, but not some incredible stretch. Well, they go 24 on top of the mediocre 21 and 19. You're at the halfway point with 45 wins. You're on pace to win 90. Now this year, if the Rangers are going to win 91, 90 might not get a wild card in that American League East. And there are five teams in that division. They all have better records. Uh, than the Astros do. Uh, so I get angst. I get Sturm and Drang. And I will say the reality is the Astros are in all likelihood on the downslope of this era of awesomeness. But like the Golden State Warriors, well, they're past their peak level, but they ain't dead yet. Now for this season, all right, the Lakers put the Warriors into the deep sleep, but no one's thinking that next year Golden State is going to be lousy. But they're just another contender. Well, maybe that's where the Astros project this year, next year. In contrast to the Dodgers, the Dodgers, the Dodgers farm system's great. The Astros farm system is weak. So if you're going to be the the regenerating Hydra, uh, Dana Brown, starting with the draft next month, where his imprint really needs to be made in this organization is in refortifying the the pipeline of, of talent. You know, it's going to be a real tough standard to, over a three-, four-year stretch, elevate Springer, Bregman, Correa, and young pitching to the major leagues. But if your farm system's 24th out of 30, MLB pipelines updated 100 prospect rankings, the Astros have won. Drew Gilbert at number 96. So it's either going to get prohibitively expensive, and even if Jim Crane said, I'm going to be the Padres, I'm going to be the Mets, You can't go out and just get every free agent you want. And there's also a finite number of free agents who can be true difference makers for a ball club. So the Astros are still a pretty good roster, it seems, once you get Altuve back and they have no more pitching injuries. But this is no longer a great roster. No, and now that we're at the quarter point in the season, it's a fair time to just kind of have an honest assessment of where you are. Charlie mentioned it with Maldonado. I mean, we were complaining about him catching and hitting like this. Abreu's worse. Only in batting average is Abreu better than Maldi right now. He's higher in on-base percentage, slugging OPS. And at the end of the day, you're paying Abreu to hit. You're playing Maldi to catch. I mean, that's that's what's killing you right here. And, and I, I pulled some stats here, as, as Charlie mentioned also. Right now, the Astros, as, as they're sitting today, they're third worst in OPS. They're fourth worst in slugging. When I look at last year for everybody that's like, oh, it's early. It's still early. Don't worry about it. Well, I pulled, I filtered just the pre All Star break Astros last year. Slugging, they were fifth. OPS, they were sixth. So even in that sample size of just before the All Star break, the Astros had risen above to where they were an elite offensive team. And now they're one of the worst offensive teams in the league. So we have to be real about that. And if you have to put a righty between Tucker and Jordan, it's Jeremy Pena. Right now, he's your best right-handed hitter that has any thump in the lineup. Hopefully, Bregman will come around. I know Pena strikes out a lot, but so does Jordan. So does Abreu. So do a lot of guys that have power in their bat. So I'm not saying that they should do that, but if Dusty's going to insist on a right-hander splitting those two guys, it should be Pena. Uh, offense is up. So far this season in Major League Baseball, and typically the offense picks up. You get to the warmer southern uh, summer months, uh, right? No more shifts. The the small factors of larger bases, uh, an historic success rate in stolen base percentage across Major League Baseball through the first quarter of the season. Um, The Astros are scoring their fewest runs per game since 2014, which was the last time they had a team that sucked. 
this team certainly does not suck, but offensively, it's been more suck than stellar through the first 40 games. I thought it was funny that over the weekend, the broadcasters were rooting for Jordan and Tucker because they know Dusty's aversion to the lefty-lefty lineup splits. And uh, in, in, that's in spite of the fact that they are carrying two of the best lefties in the game whose splits don't dictate having that sort of fear over having lefty-lefty uh, in the lineup. Uh, but it's, you know what, for as we can, we're, can cherry pick points and be hypercritical of Dusty. It's so hard because for every, you know, uh, anecdote like that, you can point at, there's also uh, what they, what he did with the trust that he had in Yuli last year. And we were screaming from the rooftops. Why, why do you keep batting Yuli? Where are you batting at? And then Yuli catches on fire at the exact right time in the, in the uh, postseason. And he's a big reason of why they were able to secure that second championship. Um, and I guess lastly on this blame game topic, um, you know, there's been a lot of debate over whether Montero has actually been bad or whether he's just been unlucky. Uh, Charlie, where do you fall on, on is, is, is Rafael Montero still a good pitcher? He's just running into some bad luck. He's been bad with some bad luck thrown in. Um, you know, he's had a bloop drop in here and there, but he's probably also had a line drive caught here or there. Uh, not everything should be judged by exit velocity. I give Dusty this one. He's more concerned with exit hits than exit velocity. Montero's given up something like 28 base runners in just over 15 innings pitched. That's lousy. You put that much traffic on the base paths, well, you leave yourself exposed to then a blue pit can drop in, score a run or two. Uh, I'm not going to say he's a bad pitcher yet. Right? The warning with Montero was he'd never had a good major league season of more than 30 innings anyway until last year. So uh, in all likelihood, because he was phenomenal, that was his career year. He'll never have that good a season again. But that leaves plenty of room to still be a good relief pitcher. Maybe it's just a matter of recalibration. Right. Ryan Presley still makes it a little bit of an adventure, but he's the unquestioned closer. Well, their unquestioned best reliever pitcher is Brian Abreu. So if Abreu is the number two guy in the bullpen and you're getting decent work out of Neris, the clock doesn't strike on Phil Maton, maybe Montero gets into that role where he comes into games where the team's behind 3-2 in the fifth or sixth inning and you need a reliever and you're hoping he can hold the game together as opposed to high leverage situation after high leverage situation uh, in the eighth inning because uh, he's compromised them in probably four games, right? A bad pitcher doesn't blow at every game, but what's your proportion of success compared to what you would expect or hope for out of the role in which you're being used? And Montero's not cutting it. Of course, you can't use Abreu in the eighth, Presley in the ninth every day, but you have Neris, maybe Mate Tom has earned a short-term promotion to a couple later inning spots because uh, Montero is pretty messed up right now. Yeah, and when you get in those situations and you keep not performing, you keep getting thrown in the eighth inning and you keep giving up runs, that stuff gets in your head a little bit. Then you start expecting to to struggle out there. So Dusty needs to get his arms around this thing before before he's in his head, and it, there's no going back, at least for this year. Yeah, in, in my opinion, Montero is unlucky in the same way that the entire pitching staff is unlucky right now. And, and to which you referenced, Charlie, is that the they're operating with such so little margin for error that anything sh short of holding their opponents, uh, you know, under four basically results in a loss right now. You guys, let's talk about the offense. We're officially into the second quarter of the season. Uh, Jose Altuve appears to be on the fast track back. Hopefully, not too fast, but uh, appears to. Uh, you know, he, he looks good at the play. The results haven't been where you'd want to. I don't really care about the results in Sugarland, quite frankly. Uh, the results aren't there yet, but uh, he looks good with the bat in his hands. Uh, we know uh, after Friday, Michael Brantley has been indefinitely shut down. So uh, I, I, I don't I don't see Michael Brantley coming back. Uh, hopefully he will. Hopefully we, we see him. That would be great. But I, I don't think you can count on it. Uh, Bregman's been what been you know typical slow start for him, but it, it's even been bad for his uh, typical slow starts. Abreu, we've well documented. Um, 
What do you guys think as far as where this team is at offensively? Charlie, how does this team project out once they get Jose Altuve back? Does that push uh, Jose Abreu down in the order? Does this offense start to come together with Jose Altuve in the lineup? Well, better push Abreu down. Uh, You know, Altuve turned 33 earlier in the month. I don't expect him to suddenly tumble down the hill, but I wouldn't want to bank on him being the 920 OPS player that he was last year. But that's fine if he's an 820 OPS player. That's a really good offensive player. Only Jordan is better in the present Astros lineup than that, and that is way, way better than Mauricio Dubon uh, at 675, right, for the 20-game hitting streak. The guy still never walks. His on-base percentage is 313. He has no power. So Altuve in, Dubon out should provide a a big boost. Still, he only gets four or five turns in the lineup, so it's not going to take a a bad offense and and make it a great one. Uh, To me, the most critical guy is Bregman. Uh, He's been just inept. He's on pace for 16 doubles, uh, along with 16 homers a quarter of the way into the season. Still not batting 210. OPS up 650. And we're beyond slow start. Right, It's a quarter of the season now. Abreu may well be washed up. I'm not expecting a big surge. Obviously, it would be a tremendous boost for the Astros if it happened. But until he shows he's not dead man playing, I'm going to think of him as dead man playing. Um, Unless Yiner Diaz is given kind of a a job share, 50-50 playing time, you know, what is Martin Maldonado going to become a good offensive player when he's a couple months away from being 37 years old? And he's never been a good offensive player, basically, his, his whole career. Bregman's been a stud. Not for a while now. 2019 was his last elite season, but he was really good last year and the second half of last year specifically. So at 29, I think it's reasonable to hope absolutely and believe credibly that, okay, this is a longer slow start than he or any Astros fan would be comfortable with. But the turnaround should kick in, uh, if not hitting 300 and slugging 500 the rest of the season, at least being a good third baseman. And Alex Bregman offensively has been a flat-out bad third baseman so far this year. So I'm going to assume Altuve is going to be good. I'm going to assume that Jordan is going to remain great. I'm going to assume Kyle Tucker, his floor is he's very good. So Altuve ends the big boost. Alex Bregman among the existing players to me is the most logical to be a lot better than he's been so far this season. And boy, the risk and a whole lot of assuming there. Yeah. I would try and make these guys feel a little more comfortable, go back to what was working in the playoffs. So Altuve comes back, you put him one, I put Pena back in the two spot, Jordan at three and maybe put Bregman back at four. You know, I, I don't mind Tucker batting there, but if we go back to the way they did it in the playoffs, it worked pretty good because Dusty said he was hesitant to move Bregman last week because putting him in, in the number two spot, he was starting to get going. Well, now he's had two hits in his last four games. Clearly, that's not the, the magic to getting Bregman going. So I would put Pena back at two, and I'd try Bregman at four because it worked, and Dusty likes that anyway. You got Tucker at five. But I'm not going to argue with somebody if they want to bat Jordan and Tucker back-to-back. I'm fine with that. But that also pushes a Abreu down to where he's hitting like sixth or something like that to give you some better hitters at the top of your lineup. So that's what I would do. Try and get them comfortable back in the swing of things. Maybe it'll click. It's worth a shot. And unfortunately, I think you you view it as Michael Brantley's done. Yeah. You hope you don't hear he needs another shoulder surgery or he's end-of-career Jeff Bagwell where it's just not functional anymore. Uh, but he's the $20 bill you find in the street if he's able to get healthy and on top of that, be productive, uh, having just turned 36 years of age. So, you know, they're, they're just a, a couple of uh, a bottle shy of a, a six-pack or I guess a nine-pack in terms of lineup depth potential. Uh, you know, you think back to Brian McCann would hit eighth, sometimes ninth uh, in 2017, the top-to-bottom depth of the 2019 lineup. Uh, last year's lineup certainly is still very good. Uh, they just don't have that this year. You know, how does the center field job share shake out? Uh, they still don't have anyone that if Jordan is playing left field, you're saying, oh, uh, that's a logical DH. I mean, David Hensley still getting a game here or there. Uh, Corey Jolks, love the story, love how he plays, but the overall numbers simply are not good. So whether there is a bat to be acquired, 
or Bregman takes off, Altuve comes back, and suddenly you have at least four solid guys at the top of your lineup. And, and I'm fine with Josh's idea of dropping Pena in the two spot uh, when Altuve gets back. Um, I'm going to throw the, the wild card out. It would seem unlikely, but Drew Gilbert promoted from A to Corpus. He's off to an all right start at Corpus. Uh, if he has a real hot month, and the Astros are still hunting peck in terms of filling out the lineup or what you're going to do in center field or DH on a, on a given day. First round pick last year, college guy. Drew Gilbert's 22 years old. He's uh, about 100 days younger than Julio Rodriguez. He is older than Corbin Carroll, the uh, phenom, little, left-handed hitting, left-handed fielding outfielder with the Arizona Diamondbacks. Um, if Drew Gilbert goes off in double a, he's 22, he's not 18. I'd give him a shot. And if it turns out, all right, he's a little over his head. We were over, but you look in the history of the game and just in Astros history, Correa, Altuve, Bagwell, Cesar Cedeno, Joe Morgan, most of the truly special ones get a shot and all don't all dominate from the jump. But if Gilbert uh, can be that young energy boost type guy, an on-base percentage guy, a left-handed bat, you could drop him in behind Altuve or even give you some speed, turn over the lineup toward the bottom. Uh, that could be a lightning bolt. It's overly ambitious, certainly not to be relied upon as a second half of the season option. But if nothing better is coming along in the meantime, um, that is one guy I would encourage. Uh, meritocracy, uh, the word was used earlier, um, give the guy a shot at 22. You just look, and I'm not saying, hey, Gilbert's a Hall of Famer waiting to happen, but most big-time players in the history of the game, they're in the majors at 22. All kinds of exceptions. Lance Berkman as a college guy didn't get here till 23. George Springer was shackled in the minors till he was 24 and a half. But the great percentage of special players belong in the majors by the time they're 22. Well, Drew Gilbert's 22. And Gilbert was someone who Dana Brown called out uh, before the season started and said, you know, he, he challenged him to, Hey, you know, make a push for this squad and, and depth may be a reason in which he is pushing, but yet you mentioned the promotion uh, to double uh, a uh, Dearden's still out there as well. Justin Dearden's still out there. His OPS is up to eight, six, seven. Um, getting back to, you know, kind of the guys who are on the team now, I found an interesting you mentioned uh, Diaz and kind of the playing time, Charlie. Uh, what I found interesting was when JP France got brought up, I thought, okay, well, here's an opportunity to get have, Dusty has a built-in excuse to use Diaz twice through the lineup now, or excuse me, twice through the rotation, because you've got two young guys who have worked with, with Diaz in the minors. And so I thought this is a perfect built-in excuse. And instead, what we saw over the weekend was Maldi working with Hunter Brown with the reason being that, well, if something happens to Diaz, we want Hunter Brown to have experience with Maldi. Okay, well, if something happens to Maldi because it did last year, then why don't you give Diaz the experience with a guy like Frommer or Javier or guys like that? So I, I find the you know the decision-making with Dusty and the rationale from Dusty sometimes makes me want to pull out uh, you know, what's left of my thinning hairline. And I, I think, you know, why is a guy like Salazar getting reps? You know, when you're struggling to put wins together, you're struggling to wins. You've lost what three out of your last four series against teams who you probably should be beating right now. Like why is Salazar getting reps? And I know, you know, look, if it's not about winning, you know, these games on a day-to-day -day basis. It's about building for the future, looking at the big picture. I get that. But also, like, is, isn't part of that trying to see what you have in Diaz? And I find it just so interesting. Just It seems Dusty's so opposed uh, to seeing what you have in Diaz. Uh, and I don't know whether that's just because he's intentionally throttling his uh, development because he wants to bring him along slowly, not too much on his shoulders. Uh, and, you know, we've seen what's happened in uh, St. Louis where uh, you had Contreras, who's, you know, no longer going to be catching because supposedly the pitching staff didn't like throwing to him. So I, I totally understand there's a chemistry thing that goes along there with your, your catcher and your pitching staff and uh, pitching has been a strength and dusty looks to Maldi as uh, Charlie, as you called him pitching Yoda behind the plate. 
Uh, and so they, he doesn't want to necessarily mess with that. But my goodness, if there wasn't ever, if there was ever an excuse to give uh, Diaz an additional day in in the your uh, in your day to day, it would be because you brought up JP France. So it, it is interesting that uh, that they didn't do that. Instead, he's going to just do his one time through the rotation. Diaz he's going to do his one time through the rotation. That has been the case throughout the entire season. Uh, Aside. Uh, very well executed silent treatment after Yiner's yeah. first home run in the dugout. Unless that was Dusty dictated, hey, hey, don't celebrate that. If he keeps hitting like that, I'll have to play him more. <laughs> um, their earned run average, and it's still small sample size, especially for Diaz. But going into the Cub series through the first quarter of the season, the Astros ERA when Yiner catching 2.70, when Maldonado catching 3.42, Machete has thrown out three of 14 attempted base dealers. Yiner's gunned down six out of 11. He should be playing more. He should be playing, frankly, I think at least half the time. And if by performance it tilted two-thirds Yiner's way, I'd be fine with that. There is zero evidence. We know the pitchers love pitching to Maldi. I'm unaware of anyone thinking, boy, that Diaz is a clown back there. Or if I, I bounce one, he's not going to block it. Oh, yeah, Maldonado's the guy who leads the league in pass balls. And fully with you on Salazar, great story for a guy to get to make the major league club. That is his participation badge. He's collecting $4,000 per day per game to be the third catcher, break glass in case of emergency. That's the only time that Salazar should be starting. Yeah. To me, it's just Groundhog Day, guys. I mean – Every regular season, I'm scratching my head at so many of Dusty's decisions. And then in the playoffs, he seems just to have the golden touch, you know, with relievers and, and playing guys. And I mean, the DH last year, notwithstanding, nobody was hitting out of the DH spot for the Astros. But it's something about the regular season versus the postseason with Dusty. And it changes my opinion. So it, it's hard for me to be super critical of him when I've, I've seen what he can dial up in the postseason. But they're also... This team's kind of teetering, so they got to maximize these wins while they're waiting for some guys to get healthy. Yeah, what's what's funny is, and I wasn't going to talk about this in the podcast, but I think I will now. Uh, we've talked about it before. AJ Hinch looked like a genius when he was running out the 2019 Astros, but put him on the Detroit Tigers, he looks a lot more like a man. He looks like like a regular dude, and. You know, so how much of Dusty, you know, how much do we give credit to Dusty, you know, for making great decisions? I mean, he certainly uh, he certainly seemed to have his finger on the pulse on the bullpen specifically, uh, knowing when to go pull uh, his guys, when to when to use Abreu uh, and even the year before in, in 21, when to use Graveman. I thought was really uh, I thought was really smart. Like the the times in which he used him, it wasn't necessarily about the inning; it was the part of the order they were in. And I thought that was great. I I, I really uh, I like I liked how he handled the bullpen in that era. But when guys are going out, when you're getting a performance out of Presley the way you were getting last year, he was smart enough to know I, this is the guy I'm going to lean on. So I will give Dusty credit for that. Again, like you know when 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 a guy's out there that's struggling at the level of a Jose Abreu, you know, it makes everyone in the organization look bad. Even guys who are marginal employees, including Jeff Bagwell. Um, so this is uh, part of the show where we, uh, I pose a question. Everyone gets a chance to answer. Um, so if you're watching this on YouTube, be sure to put your answer in the comment section and, and participate with us. Uh, guys, we have covered this on Sports Map over the past couple of weeks. A lot of smoke building around a certain James Harden coming back to the Rockets. And I know this is an Astros podcast, but I feel like Harden's name tran transcends sports. And so we can kind of do a little a crossover here, for, at least for the bottom line question of the week. Um, so my question is this. If Harden does make a return to Houston, if he's brought back, which if and and if Jose Abreu keeps performing at this trajectory, which guy do you think is going to get more hate in this uh, in in this town? Do you think it's going to be James Harden or Jose Abreu? Hmm. How about elimination games? James delivering in spades again in Game Seven for the Sixers. Uh, I'm going to go. That's an interesting question. 
I was inclined to say it's Abreu because if the Astros, oh my goodness, somehow aren't even in the postseason or it's a brief stay, they don't make it a seventh consecutive American League Championship Series appearance, uh, Abreu is going to be a foremost sign of the decay. Uh, though his role on the Astros, one batter out of nine in the lineup, not as substantial as James Harden dominating the ball as one of five Rockets on the court. They really want him back. Is that what you want as a defensive work ethic, 34-year-old lifestyle mentor to all the young guys on the Rockets? I know, I know, I digress again. Uh, and uh, until the Rockets get competent, must they win that lottery Tuesday night, uh, interest level in the Astros is just so vastly, vastly greater than it is in the Rockets. Uh, I'm going to go with Abreu. I, I could go either way, but just to be a little different, a lot of Houston fans already have an opinion on James Harden that's not super positive, and that's before he even comes back. So if we don't see them get any better, we see some of these young guys not develop like we thought. Yeah, I think – and I mean, people are already trashing Harden today for what Charlie was just talking about. So, yeah, I'll go with James just because I think a lot of Houston fans are already out on him before he even makes his return. I'm going to say Harden as well, and I'll tell you why. Because uh, Harden playing, he there's an ex- expectation that he's going to play, so he performs bad. He solely get is is kind of a lightning rod, and 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 uh, Josh, you talked about it. There's there's a history there. Whereas Abreu playing can be, you can point to a lot of different people. Uh, you can point at uh, Jeff Bagwell and, and Jim Crane, as many have, for bringing him in. You can point at Dusty Baker for penciling him so high in the lineup. But James Harden's on an island when he's out there in more than one way. Yeah, I think I think it's going to be Harden. And, and let me just say that if he gets introduced at that presser by Jeff Bagwell, then, uh, it's, then we know we're all being trolled. And that's Maybe the bottom should. line, because Stone Cold said so. Excuse me, Mr. Austin. Maybe they should both shave for a fresh start. Ooh. Abreu and hypothetically, if Harden is to wind up back here. That's right. And maybe Bagwell, if he's going to get to continue to make executive suite decisions. Give you the final word there, Charlie. That's it for this week's episode of Stone Cold Strows on behalf of Charlie and Josh. I want to thank our producer, Jack, for pushing the buttons. And thanks to everybody who watched and listened. Thank, appreciate the support. Until next time, go Strows. <laughs>